have been looking at uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a series called Unwrapped. If you've not been with us over the last, oh, six weeks or so, I would encourage you to look at our website and you can uh, listen to those messages via podcast, correct? There you go. Before we get into that, though, I have an announcement, believe it or not. Um, uh Janet mentioned the fundraiser last night. Our, our youth group goes to Mexico every spring break, works with an orphanage and in a community down there. It's a fantastic, fantastic event that they've been doing for many, many years. Uh, and of course, spring break happens every year right around... Oh, you guys are so on it today. Right around Easter. And I just wanted to, uh, to mention that to you. By the way, just last night, everybody that was here... Thank you for coming and supporting the kids. It was a lot of fun. They did an auction fundraiser. If you weren't here, you missed out. Uh, I don't know how much money they made. I asked around this morning, and I heard an estimate of a million dollars. I think that might have been a little high. I don't think they made a million dollars, but... Oh, 17 and 1,800. That's almost a million, 1,800 and a million. It's close. That's good, though. That will help them significantly... Uh, for, for their little journey, which is coming up in a few weeks. Easter Sunday is, of course, uh, a special Sunday in the life of the church, the church, the big church, all of the church, everywhere. It's a day annually that we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the life we have in him. It's also a big day in the life of our church. We, we really celebrate Easter here every year by sharing testimonies of what God's done in our midst through the last year, and it's a great day for us. I am going to, I was praying about this the last couple weeks, and I met with our our leadership team this week, and I'm going to send out an invitation uh, to our mailing list. We have a lot of folks who have been with us at different points in the past and and are not with us currently, and some of them I I realize are probably attending a church elsewhere now, which is really wonderful, but I also, I happen to have it on good authority that at least a few of them are not at church anywhere. And so we're going to invite them to come, and I'm going, to, I'm going to invite you this morning to pray with me for that, for that invitation, and for those folks that might be disconnected or just kind of wandering a little bit, that they would come back that day and, and pray with us. And I would throw out a little challenge to you, too, maybe to think about anybody that you might know that would be blessed and, and benefit from uh, resurrection life in Jesus that doesn't know about that or that isn't currently in church and invite them to come that morning as well. So March 29th is Easter. It's, it'll be a great day. The kids will, I think, just be getting back from Mexico. That always makes it a lot of fun. And we'll talk about some fun stuff that has happened in our congregation this last year. Continuing in our little series this morning, I'm going to talk about the gifts of word of knowledge and word of wisdom today. Um, I believe personally that the word of knowledge and word of wisdom are two of the most underrated, underutilized, and valuable gifts uh, available in the church today. Um, I'll just, uh, Sean Bowles wrote a great book, fantastic little book called Translating God. He says, when people hear that God knows the precious details of their lives, whether historical or current facts, it helps them to feel known by God and cared for by Him. That's so true, and, and that really is Uh, the basis of our message this morning. So let's pray, and we'll talk about word of knowledge and word of wisdom. Father, open your word to us this morning. We we love your word, Lord. It's so rich and so full, 
And we pray that you would today enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would see uh, into all that you are and all that you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. So a little story, I've shared this before, some of you will have heard it, but uh, it's a great illustration uh, of this gift. When I was very young, uh, I was not in ministry yet, I was attending Anaheim Vineyard, probably uh, early 80s, you know, so I was in my early 20s. Um, and our Sunday night service was really an equipping service. Uh, our focus as a church and our Pastor John's focus was really to use that time to train and equip people for ministry. It was very much his focus. And so very often on Sunday night, he would um, just spend some time doing ministry and kind of facilitating ministry around the room. And one of the ways that that would happen very often is at the end of the service, John would pray, and then he would have several words of knowledge uh, for healing and different conditions that people might have, and then he would ask them to stand. They would stand, and they would get groups of people around praying for them. And it was all, um, it, was, it was very helpful. I mean, we equipped thousands and thousands and thousands of people to learn to pray and pray for one another during that time. And on one of, one of those occasions, again, I wasn't in ministry yet. I was just, uh, I was on the ministry team. I was one of the prayer team people. John gave two or three words of knowledge, and one of the words he gave that night was, there's somebody here that has migraine headaches, right? That seems... You know, it's a room of 2,000 people, probably somebody has migraine headaches, but uh, so somebody here has migraine headaches, and then he gave some more words, and then people were praying, and kind of ministry's going on, and after a few minutes, he stops, and he says, did anybody respond to that word for migraines? Uh, looks around, nobody raises their hand, he goes, well, um, the Lord says that you've had migraine headaches for 17 years, and you should really come forward, because God really wants your migraines. And so then he goes on, and he gives some more words, and more people are praying, and time passes. And then he stops, and he goes, did anybody come up for that word about migraines yet? No? Okay, well, uh, the Lord says you've had migraines for 17 years, and your name is George. And he really wants your migraines. So he goes on uh, doing some other things, and I'm standing in front waiting, and the guy comes up, and I said, hey, I'm Glenn, can I pray for you? And he goes, yeah, I'm George. And I said, oh, okay, all right. I got a live one. Um, uh, so what I didn't know, and I'll share this with you first, is that uh, George had come to our church that evening with a friend to disprove or discredit the ministry of the Spirit. He came to show how uh, these things were not of God and were wrong. Um, and, but I, I did not know that at the time, uh, so we just prayed for George. And uh, God healed George of migraine headaches, and he began to attend our church. I don't have it anymore. I wish I could still find it in my files somewhere, but you know how, how at the end of the year, sometimes people write their little their Christmas letter they send out, that kind of thing? So in the Christmas letter that George's wife sent out the following year, you know, she gave several highlights of their family for the year, and then the last thing she wrote was, and this year God healed George of his migraines that he's had for 17 years, and she told the story of it. And it was so, so impacting on, um, on, on their lives, obviously, on my life, on the life of our church. Uh, it really causes faith and hope to rise up. Um, I, I'm going to say this, that I believe the gift of word of knowledge again is such a powerful gift, 
in that very often it's used to release further ministry in the lives of people. It's, it's very effective in equipping and training people for ministry. Uh, so when, when we talk about word of knowledge, word of wisdom, really what are we talking about? What are these gifts? I'm going to start with uh, word of wisdom first um, because I think it sometimes is even uh, less utilized and less understood than word of knowledge. And sometimes I think this happens. I think somebody actually has a word of wisdom and it goes unrecognized as a word of wisdom. Uh, everybody just sort of thinks that guy said something really smart. Um, uh, and, but they don't really realize it's a word of wisdom. So I want to begin with this, that in, in the uh, kind of the pantheon of, of understanding and God's universe and his creation, there are really four different kinds of wisdom that we can identify there's normal human wisdom. Normal human wisdom is applied knowledge, right? You learn something and you put that into practice and it, it makes a difference. It's, it's typically, it can be very good. It can be a positive thing. We see that today in, you know, everything, technology, medicine, science, transportation, all the stuff that happens. That's, that's somebody's used their wisdom, their knowledge for good. But it can also, uh, it can also be bad because what it can really do, and we see this a lot, I think, in our culture today, uh, it leads to pride. It can lead to human pride and cause people to feel uh, a little bit, uh, you know, bigger than they really are. Uh, that's why the, the, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he, he says this. It's a lengthy passage, but I, I think it's worth reading. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So the, the wise, that the people that think they're wise and all-knowing in the world will be frustrated by the power of God's resurrection at the cross. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So human wisdom can be good, but it also has its limitations, and, and I think we can see that even at its best, in its best case scenario, it's not the wisdom of God. So the second category of wisdom really is God's wisdom, and, and this is, this, we see this, the book of Proverbs, if you read Proverbs, it, it, it talks a lot about wisdom and what wisdom is, and wisdom really is living our life under the pretense of, of God's purposes and, and God's will for us, not our own. We also, those of you that have been around for a while, remember our study in the book of James. And in James, he tells us we can ask for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously without, to all without finding fault, it will be given to you. So we come to situations in life where, uh, you know, there's challenges. We, we face difficult things and decisions and things, and sometimes we don't know how to resolve something in our, in, our, uh, in our life around us, so we can ask God to help us with that, and that he'll give us wisdom in that. But that's a little different still than a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is a sudden, miraculous, it's instantaneous, miraculously given insight into a specific situation for a specific time. 
okay? And we'll, we'll define that further in a minute, but first I'll just give you the fourth category of wisdom is the fallen word supernatural wisdom. What that is really is a result of the fall. If you remember back in the Garden of Eden, uh, we know that Eve ate the apple, but you remember uh, a little bit about that. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to her eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. And so the desire there was to be God or be more like God or take over control of our life. And so the fallen wisdom of the world, I think we see today exemplified in people that are, uh, whose lives are marked by greed, whose lives are marked by, um, you know, kind of you talk about somebody being on a power trip or sometimes we'll say someone has a God complex. Uh, that We think we're, we're much more than we are. That's really not God's wisdom. So I want to look at a couple of examples of word of wisdom from the scripture. Uh, one of the most uh, illustrative examples is in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Kings, the life of Solomon. If you know uh, the story there, Solomon is the son of David. Uh, he's, he grows up and takes over the throne of his father. Uh, God says you can ask for anything you want and Solomon doesn't ask for power or wealth. He asks for wisdom in 1 Kings 3. He says, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people. Distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern these great people of yours? He asks for wisdom, and so God grants him wisdom. And very soon after that, he encounters a situation where he, he needs to put that wisdom into practice. Uh, this is just a little bit later. Now, two prostitutes came to him came to the king, and they stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put the dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive, your son is dead. While the other one says, no, your son is dead, mine is alive. <coughs> then the king said, bring me a sword. I tell you, swords in church are never good. We, had, we auctioned off a sword last night. Elliot told me this morning, I, I, I would be happy to know that it, somebody that doesn't go to our church purchased a sword. Uh, they brought a sword for the king and he gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other one said, neither I nor you shall have him cut him in two. The king says, the one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while the one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. And then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman, do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. And so uh, you can see there, this is a uh, wisdom. It's a, it's a specific, supernaturally imparted uh, understanding that, that comes at that moment for a specific time and a specific place. Uh, let's look at a couple more really quick. 
Jesus moved in word of knowledge and word of wisdom very often. As you read through the Gospels, you see that. And I, it's one of the reasons I feel like uh, praying for these gifts is, is so vital for us as a church in ministry to follow his ministry. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. They're just setting him up. You aren't swayed by others. They're buttering him up because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they, led, they left him and went away. Uh, one more here. Really, I don't know. I think this one might be my favorite. At dawn, the, uh, he appeared again in the temple courts, Jesus, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the, in the law, Moses commanded that us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You know, the, they don't care about the woman at all here. She's just a pawn in their efforts to uh, really discredit Jesus. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who uh, heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, uh, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Um, word, word of wisdom can cut through uh, condemnation and judgment in the lives of people. And, and really, I mean, Jesus treats this woman with respect. He, this is, uh, you, you know, it says uh, he's full of grace and truth. And I see in this one verse, grace and truth. Truth is, he, he tells her, go and sin no more. But he doesn't condemn or judge her. Uh, he says, neither do I condemn you. So you can see where a word of wisdom really is seeing a situation from God's perspective rather than our perspective. And I, I don't know about you guys, but what I've found is most of the time God's perspective is a little bit different than mine. And when I can gain his perspective on a situation, suddenly my heart is transformed as well as the situation itself. Um, Jesus said he would do this for us. Uh, So you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And so for our purposes today, I would say this. Word of wisdom is a valuable gift. Like any of the gifts of the Spirit, it's one that we should desire earnestly. We should seek after and pray and ask God to give to us. Um, there's a lot of application to word of wisdom. It can be used. Uh, sometimes anybody ever receive a prophetic word from somebody and don't understand it? Seriously? Okay, come on. 
Yeah, that's, that happens, right? Uh, I think you pray, God, give me understanding and clarity into how to apply what this word means for me. I think it could be helpful there. Very helpful in how to pray for someone. Very helpful to avoid some of the difficulties and pitfalls of life. Um, so there's a lot of application to word of wisdom. Let's talk about word of knowledge for a minute. This, uh, this definition is actually in David Pitch's book on the gifts of the Spirit, uh, but he, he credits Wimber for it, so it's David Pitch's quoting John Wimber. Um, this is a supernatural revelation of facts about a person or situation which is not learned through the efforts of the natural mind, but is a fragment of knowledge freely given by God, disclosing the truth which the Spirit w- wishes to be made known concerning that person or situation. Uh, there is somebody here named George who's had migraine headaches for 17 years. That's a fragment of knowledge that God supernaturally imparted. John didn't know those things by any natural means so that uh, God could bring healing to that person. Um, you know, it really, look, it, there, there's, on one level, a word of knowledge is very, very valuable as sort of a supernatural conversation starter, if I can use that term. It's an opportunity. It opens doors for ministry. But on another level, I want to say this. It's something so much deeper and so much more than that. Uh, I I agree with what Sean Bowles said that we read earlier. The thing is this. There are very few things in life that are more profoundly impacting on the human soul than the realization that the God of heaven knows me. Okay, we read he restores my soul this morning. Our souls are fragmented and broken. And when our soul all of a sudden supernaturally comes to that place of going, God knows me. Let me tell you something. That, boys and girls, is a game changer. That changes everything. I want to read Psalm 139 for a minute uh, because I believe it helps us to really identify that. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. The declaration, the psalmist is declaring God's knowledge of him. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day, darkness is as light to you, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So that text is used very often as a, uh, uh, to, to uh, support a pro-life position, which rightfully so, okay, very rightfully so. But I want to say this, that it's more than that. 
what that text shows us is that the God of heaven knows me. The God of heaven knows me. And let me tell you, that changes everything. That changes everything. When we come into that realization, when we understand what that guy understands, the God of heaven knows me. That changes everything. You talk about transformation. I tell you, I have seen people's lives transformed in a moment when they understand that God knows who they are. Um, there are four kinds of knowledge, uh, as with wisdom, but I'm going to, uh, just you can see those there, they're the same, I'm going to skip over talking about those, and I, I want us to, to uh, look at a couple examples of word of knowledge. Um, again, one of my very favorite passages, John chapter 4, Jesus encounters, he's in Samaria, he encounters a woman there uh, to, to, at a well, at Jake, he's at Jacob's well, she's there to, to get water for her family, and so they're, they're drawing water, and they start a conversation about water, but then the conversation kind of evolves a little bit. And the woman said to him, Jesus mentions living water. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Um, so let me say this. At that point, that's the game changer right there. He says, uh, he tells her this reality, and she comes to an understanding in that moment you're a prophet, she says, but, but what she begins to realize is this, that God knows me. And, and I want you to know something. It really, at that moment, everything changes for her. She has lived a life of brokenness and shame, and, and all of her past, all of that stuff begins to, to fall away. It begins to melt off of her um, when she comes to that conclusion. God knows who I am. Uh, she would also, she will very soon in this same conversation, she realized not only does God know me, God accepts me and God loves me. What is the outcome? What happens in the aftermath of this? Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Look, here's the thing. In the beginning of the story, she's at the well at an off time. Typically in the morning, women would go to the well to get water so that they would have water in their home to do their laundry or their cooking or whatever they need to do for the day. But beyond the normal routine, it was kind of like the office water cooler, if you will. They gathered there to chit-chat. Ladies just love to talk, you know. I mean, do they, can I say that? Is that okay? Uh, and so they would gather at the well, and it would be sort of a meeting place, and then they would go off and do their daily chores. Uh, she knows that, but she comes later in the day when nobody's there intentionally because she doesn't want to chit-chat. She doesn't want to talk to people. She doesn't want them to look at her and stare at her and make snide comments about her. So she comes later in the day when she thinks no one will be there, but oops, Jesus is there. So he enters into this conversation with her. So she goes within minutes from a place of, of hiding, really, and, 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 and withdrawing from people to a place where she's going back and telling everybody about what just happened. Her whole life transforms. Look what happens in the town. 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. Hey, we want to know more. He stayed two more days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. So, look. Her life is completely transformed, and the lives of those around her are transformed. This is such a, a, an amazing and powerful gift that happens to just spark ministry. I want to make a, I want to point out the obvious here, though, make a, a little bit of an observation. Um, the word that Jesus had for her involves some sinful behavior in her past. And sometimes uh, a, a word of knowledge will do that. It will reveal sin in a person's life. Um, you might remember, and this is, we'll look at one more example before we finish up. The Old Testament, uh, we, just, we looked at not too long ago here, the story of David and Bathsheba, right? So David um, is home when he should be at war. He sees this beautiful woman sunbathing. Uh, he decides that he likes what he sees. So he sends someone to bring her to him. He has uh, sex with her, and she becomes pregnant. So that's a problem. Um, so he has someone go to the, the, the battlefront where her husband is and says, bring him home. We'll give him a little break. He can come and spend some time with his wife, and then it'll appear as though it's his child, and I'll be off the hook. But that doesn't work. And so David is in a quandary. He, he's left with a, a real big problem. So he is in, in his desperation, does the only thing he can think to do, uh, which is to have uh, her husband killed. Now she's a widow, so then he'll... He'll comfort the bereaved widow and, and marry her, and then she gets pregnant and everything will be okay, right? And lo and behold, he kind of pulls it off. It all works. He gets away with it until he gets visited by a guy named Nathan. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, Nathan tells him the story about a wee little lamb. He says there were two men in a certain town one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. Um, it's a pretty powerful gift. Look, let me say that God... His purpose in revealing sin, why would God do that? Because he cares enough about you and I to not allow us to continue on our sin. This is not like 
God just wants to see you get busted. What God wants to see is your heart be broken before him and you come to a place of repentance and back into right relationship with him so that you don't continue down that path of sin. Peter tells us that God wants that to happen to everybody. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So it's really out of a heart of love. Let me just, uh, final comment on this. And the de delivery of a word like that, and, and this may happen. I, it's happened uh, with me and other people I know. Um, you have a word about something in a person's life that, you know, uh, is, is uh, of that nature. Uh, we want to honor God, uh, and we want to preserve the dignity of that person. And so, first of all, we have to check our own heart. We have to do a, do a, a, a real uh, look into our own heart and our own spirit and make sure that our heart is the same as God's, that it's compassion and humility uh, and concern and love for that person are really what's guiding us. Um, and then, you know, secondly, I think we want to make sure that we do that privately. Uh, in a ministry setting here, we will pray for words of knowledge and different people will have a word for, you know, someone has a headache or someone has back pain or someone has this. That's perfectly acceptable. But when you have a word for someone that you believe is, is of, um, of that nature, uh, you need to go to that person and pull them aside and do that privately because we don't want to embarrass or, or cause further damage or further wounding. What we want to do is seek God's heart for repentance come. So let me just say uh, in conclusion that I believe, again, these gifts are incredibly, incredibly valuable and powerful in the life of the church. I really do believe this. I believe that God will, will, re will reveal himself, make himself known, and, and if we ask and we seek him, he will give us gifts of the Spirit. He says he would, and he'll give us from time to time. I believe anybody can hear the voice of the Lord and that we all can receive these gifts and move in them uh, so that we can participate in the advancement of God's kingdom today. All right, let's stand.